Welcome to Behave, the behavioural science podcast where we discuss, explore and aim to showcase the practical benefits of layering behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth. Hosted by Pedro Martins, a director at Total Media, the behavioural planning agency. Remember to rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts and for any questions, feedback or requests for future topics, please email us at podcast at behave.co.uk. For more information on anything discussed in the episode and useful downloads, please visit behave.co.uk forward slash podcast. Welcome to Behave, the podcast that aims to showcase practical business benefits through the application of behavioural science to your marketing. Exploring the bias in the choice factory, I'm joined by the author Richard Chotton and Wilhelm Lloyd, and today we're going to be talking about social proof and specifically why the actions or perceived actions of others have an effect on what we do. Rich, can you give us the background behind this bias? So social proof is probably one of the most well-known biases and certainly one of the most well-researched. But the most famous study in the area is is by um, a professor called Robert Cialdini, who is Professor of Marketing and and Psychology at Arizona State University. And in his most famous of studies, he works with a hotel chain in southwest USA and he persuades that hotel chain to let him change the messages that you normally see in your hotel room asking you to reuse your towel. So he has three different versions, three randomly selected groups of rooms. And in the first set of rooms, he says, or his message says, please reuse your towel because it's good for the environment. And 35% of people do so. And then the second group of rooms, he strips away any of the uh, logical, rational reasons for complying and instead uses a social proof message. So he makes it clear what the norm of behaviour is. He says, please reuse your towel because most guests do so. And in that scenario, you see a shift of 44% of people reusing their towels. So up from 35%, 9 percentage point change or a 25-26 percentage point swing. Now, that's the basic bias. And you see lots and lots of brands applying it. You know, Carling will say they're number one most popular beer. Um, Tunnocks will say how many chocolate bars they sell. But there's a few little nuances to it. And the first is Cialdini's final variant of his experiment try to tease out who most influences us. And his argument was not everyone is equal and we are most influenced by knowing what people like us do. So his final variant of the experiment is uh, third, third and final group of rooms the sign says, please reuse your towel because most guests have stayed in this particular room have done so. So he makes a link, albeit a very tenuous link, with the viewer. And in that scenario, he sees the best compliance rates and it goes up to 49%. So that's the first of these well, nuances. Right. And so, again, again you've, you've talked about this before. What other evidence is there that this sort of bias exists? Because it's very difficult because you do one test. Yep. And it confirms that bias. But then, is it repeatable? Yeah, absolutely. So, firstly, absolutely right that I think you should have some degree of suspicion. You know, was it kind of a, a scepticism rather than cynicism, though? If, you've, if you hear an outlandish claim, I think, from behavioural science, the first thing to do is ask whoever's making the claim, has this bias been replicated? If it's only ever been experimented upon once, you can have a little bit of faith in it but you probably want to go to, to lengths yourself to, to, to prove it again however social proof is quite a long way from that there have been studies with 
uh, tax, pay rate, tax repayment rates. So HMRC have shown that if you say 9 out of 10 people pay their tax on time, it improves repayment rates. Uh, Fang at Duke University has shown if you put most popular dish on a menu, it will outperform other messages like chef's recommendation. Um, Christakis has shown that other people's behaviour influences smoking and obesity rates. And I think Duncan Watts has shown that with music downloads, uh, knowing what the most popular track is will make it even more popular still. So social proof has been shown again and again and again. Now that certainly doesn't mean it uh, always works. There's a few well-publicised incidents where it has backfired. But I think in this case, the burden of proof when you're talking about social proof is um, the assumption should be that most people will be influenced by knowing what others do, but it doesn't always happen. Right. And Will, have you seen the same in your experience? Uh, Definitely. And I think this is one of the social proofs that hasn't just been proven in studies and academically, but we've seen proven again and again in the real world. Uh, One interesting example... Uh, which I like was actually at SMU, which is universities in America, and they had problems with binge drinking. And up until the mid-noughties, a lot of their messaging was about the fact that they had problems with binge drinking, and all they were doing was encouraging this social norm that everyone else is binge drinking, and they saw year-on-year binge drinking rise again and again. And then when they actually did a study and looked at the difference between the amount of binge drinking people thought happened and the amount that was actually happening they found that it was less. And when they started to communicate to the students that there was a lower level of binge drinking than they thought, Mm. that was actually the year that they started to see binge drinking go down. And so you can see in the real world it has an impact. Um, I think there's one other really interesting example. It's been used quite a lot in charities. um, And there's been work that's been done with the cooperative legal services. And they found that if they were just asking customers to donate, they would get about... uh, 10% 10% of people donating. If they added uh, a question in saying, would you like to donate, it would go up slightly. Uh, and if they then said, many of our customers like to leave money to charity in their will, are there any causes you're passionate about? They'd actually find that it would increase to 15%. And importantly, people would leave twice as much in their will. So again and again, it's not just studies, but this has been used and been proven to work for companies and organisations. And Rich, going back to one of my favourite topics, beer, you mentioned Carlin uses this to let everyone know they're number one. Brands can also use more lateral approaches to this rather than literal. So literal is just directly almost plonking the experiment down on your creative, saying it's nine out of ten people Mm. use this or it's most popular. Lateral would be when you use design or other um, areas of communication to make a more oblique claim. So one example of that, my favourite example, would be um, Apple iPod. So if you think back to when they launched, early 2000s, they cannot go out and say they are most popular because lots of other brands had launched first, so they didn't have... They can honestly claim it. So what they do instead, though, is they recognise that their competitors have made a mistake and allowed their popularity to be unknown because if someone was listening to an MP3 player, say a Sony and they were listening to that on the train or the tube, another passenger would have no idea what brand was being used because the MP3 player was in the pocket and all the other people in the carriage could see was the bland black earphones. So what Apple did so well in all their chite advertising was emphasise, make a big play on the white distinctive earbuds. So as soon as anyone saw anyone listening 
uh, white earphones, they knew they were listening to Apple. So Apple's success was very visible, the competitors' success was essentially invisible. So they harnessed social proof long before they were the market leader. And it's that what I would call a lateral use of social proof, which is most exciting because that's the opportunity for, for marketing agencies. I think it's interesting on that. Two thoughts about it. One was when we were at university, we learned very quickly not to wear the Apple iPhones because <laughs> as well as showing everyone that you liked Apple, you showed all the people in the local area who stole things from people that you had an iPod. Um, and the second thing is it was amazing. You saw Apple use that so incredibly well. And yet it took so long for any headphone brand to pick up on that for headphones until I think pretty much Beats came out with the bright red cable and they used that really well to show people were wearing Beats headphones. And you kind of go, how can it be that six, seven year gap between those two brands that every headphone brand see this work and go, no, we're just going to keep them black and maybe we'll put a little skull on, but we'll not own a colour or something that communicates people are wearing our headphones? I think that it's it's fascinating that you've had such they've had such an impact as you say it hasn't been copied by other brands, and I think some of the reason that might be the case is too many brands rely on claim data, so those uh, headphone manufacturers probably went out and surveyed their users or potential purchasers and said, well, you know, why did you buy Apple? And the, the people would answer that it was about the amazing quality of the earphones. No, none of the Apple buyers would mention it was because of social proof. And that is a common problem. You know, and it's not just speculation. Cialdini's towel experiment is a very famous one. But he did a follow-up. And in his follow-up, he used a more standard research technique. So in the follow-up, he says, he recruits a group of participants. And he says to them, um, I want you to imagine you're going to a hotel. And I want you to imagine you saw one of these three messages, the environmental message, the social proof message, the tailored social proof message. And he says, which one would influence you to reuse your towel? And most people say, well, social proof would have no effect on me. I would be influenced by the environmental one. So again and again, with behavioural experiments, we see the observed data that we can give genuine credibility and belief in this observation of how people behave when they think no one's looking that tells us one story but then if you ask people directly they will claim that they're motivated by far more rational logical uh, reasons and so that i think explains some of the lack of uptake i'm sure that's partly the reason those other headphone brands didn't cotton on earlier definitely i think it's interesting as well you've got the claim data and then the people that will distinguish go oh I recognise some people might be influenced by that. You can see it in uh, agencies. So agencies will go, oh, we buy into social proof. It's a really important concept. At the same time, they'll email all their employees going, we've got a real problem because no one's filling in timesheets. Yeah. And you go, well, you either believe it or you don't. And similarly, they'll go B to B. Oh, no, they're way too rational yeah. there. And you go, that's not how people work. They don't suddenly switch on the hyper-rationality. Yeah. That means they're not effective. My, my, my favourite example of that, because we're also talking about this idea of negative social proof. So if you tell everyone that a negative behaviour, like stealing or littering, <laughs> is commonplace, it becomes more common still. And I was on Wikipedia, on the social proof page, and there's an ad above it from Wikipedia saying only 1% of our of readers ever donate anything, please donate. <laughs> so even on the 
Even on the bloody social proof page, there's an ad that is misusing social proof. There's a famous um, social proof one that you talk about, Richard, in your book. Could you talk us through it? So that's that's Cialdini's experiment into this idea. So he calls what Will was chatting about earlier with the drunkenness, he calls it negative social proof. Right. And he calls it the government and charity's big mistake. So in his experiment in the Arizona Petrified Wood National Park, he wants to see what effect telling people that theft rates are common will have on theft rates of bits of petrified wood. Because in the year or so before he's run his experiment, the park rangers are getting worried that lots of people are stealing wood from this national park, these like, tiny little piece of petrified wood they're taking home as souvenirs. So he strings up CCTV cameras by a path, and then, to begin with, he monitors the base rate of theft. So he sprinkles bits of wood by the path, and records how many passers-by steal a bit of wood, and it's about 3%. He then puts up a sign in his next version where he says, uh, please don't steal, it's wrong, and the theft rate dropped to 1.5%. And then the final version, this negative social proof version, he puts up a sign saying 14 tonnes of wood have been stolen each year and it's ruining the look of the park. And in that scenario, he sees theft rates go from 3% in the control to 7.9%. Wow. Yeah, so in his words, it's a crime promotion strategy, not a crime <laughs> prevention strategy. And that is something, that, that problem of negative social proof, this idea that if you tell people a negative behaviour is commonplace, you remove a sense of transgression, and then it will become more common still. If you look at government advertising, you see it happening again and again and again. I think there's a really important uh, effect of this uh, in elections, which we're seeing with the elections that we're having once every six months at the moment, <laughs> where you get the social norm is always communicated, old people vote, so all old people feel they should, and then the social norm is, but it's awful, young people don't vote, <laughs> but young people hear it and just go, oh, well, no-one else my age votes, so I don't feel I should, yeah. whereas <laughs> older people hear I should vote because everyone my age is. And it's that, that actual communicating of that norm is just making the problem worse. Yeah. Interestingly, in 2008, uh, Barack Obama tried to use this. And the day before the election, he put out a press release saying they were expecting a record turnout that year for the election. And they put that out knowing that that press release itself would potentially create the record turnout. Because if people heard that everyone else was mm. voting, they themselves would turn up. Which, so of course, just, they did, yeah, absolutely. Which they did. It was a really smart use of it by him the day before to get people to vote. And, and some of the, the law around uh, voting reflects social proof. So I think in the UK you're not allowed to run um, polling on the day of the election. Right. You can't, so you can't announce the, um, what's it called, the exit poll yep. uh, until all polls are closed, because it seems it might be influential. And in other places, you're not allowed to run polling, opinion polling, or publish the results with about a week to go to the election. Social proof doesn't have to be just what you perceive other people are doing, but it can be the communication of what is a norm within society, what's acceptable or not. And so often with speed cameras, they're less effective than a smiley face that comes at you if you're within the speed limit and a sad-looking face if you don't. Um, one example of this, I think, was really interesting, was used by the Sacramento uh, Municipal Utility District, and they sent out statements to 35,000 randomly selected customers, rating them on their energy use, uh, and people who uh, got good 
but just as word descriptions. There was very little fluctuation in how they performed. But when they started to use smiley faces, which was quite instinctive and directed people about what they were doing, they actually saw a 2.8% reduction in energy use. So there's quite a good way of not just communicating the social norm, but doing it in ways that instinctively affects people. And I think that's one of the elements with creative as well, going beyond just communicating a norm, but thinking of a way that does it quickly and instinctively and will affect people on a more emotional level. Yeah. And Richard, are there any other nuances that you've seen when it comes to social proof? So um, another one is around this idea of even though it is one of the most proven biases, uh, that doesn't mean it works against every group all the time. So there, there's a famous instant of it backfiring um, amongst a on an HMRC test. So one of the most well-known examples of social proof was when HMRC went out and said nine out of ten people pay their tax on time, and when they did that, they saw a uplift in repayment rates. But when they analysed the data on a far more granular level, they saw that there was one group who, when they heard about what everyone else was doing, became less likely to pay their tax. And that was the very wealthy. So the top 5% of debtors, when they knew that 9 out of 10 people paid their tax on time, they became less likely. And the HMRC argue that whilst most people claim they're not influenced by others, this group, this very successful group of business people, were genuinely not influenced because they saw themselves as very different. So their response to that was to run two different messages the lower uh, debtors the lower level of debtors that not bottom 95 percent in terms of income owed got the social proof message and then the largest five percent of debtors got a separate message along the lines of you know the ten thousand pounds you ask um will be you know we won't be able to afford a, a teaching assistant or something so they turned what was an abstract loss to the exchequer into something far more more concrete i think there's interesting stuff in that that there is this sense of some people, often rich people in this instance, think they exist outside the norm. Um, and you kind of think, well, we were talking about negative social proof and trying to promote pro-social behaviour. You wonder if you talk about teen smoking, teen drug taking, whether those are the types of people who also consider themselves to exist outside the norm and instinctively want to go against the grain. And so are there groups sometimes when you're communicating where social norms will be less effective than others because of who they are as people. Yeah. And, it, and I think that's a great point in that maybe something the HMRC also could have tried is do you tailor the 9 out of 10 or the smoking message to the, to the group that you have in mind? So rather than 9 out of 10 uh, people pay their tax on time, you could have put 9 out of 10 of our richest uh, business customers nice, pay, yeah. pay, their, pay their tax on time. So, so, so it could be a tailoring or as they did, find a message that does, does work. If you've got an international campaign from mm. an advertising point of view as well, there's some really interesting research at social norms by culture, uh, and this incredible research that showed the culture of a group will affect whether they are influenced by social norms. And if you've grown up in a society that's much more at threat, either from natural disasters or from foreign groups, you're far more likely to be influenced by social norms was if you grew up in cultures and societies that are much more protected from uh, natural disasters or threats of uh, other people, they're less influenced by it, they're more individualistic. So, for example, social norms are incredibly powerful in Japan 
which has had lots of issues with natural disasters, much more of a culture about following uh, the group, whereas they're seen to be less influential in New Zealand and Brazil, which generally suffer less from outside impacts. And this has been seen actually with tribes as well. They've done this sort of uh, analysis um, in anthropology. And it seems to be that the culture of group will affect the impact of social norms. And so it may be something on an international level that will work really well in some markets, but not as effectively in others, depending upon the culture of the market you're talking to. In terms of how you've applied this to the clients, because I think actually for our listeners it's quite useful for them to see practical application you've talked a lot of different ways that's been applied but more recently is there any way or any, any clients that you've applied it to yeah there's there's quite a few so you can apply it apply it in big and little ways um one client we've done quite small changes but really powerful impacts which is for fred olsen which is a cruise brand we've recently started editing their native advertising uh, and just putting social proof messaging into the native changing the copy ourselves and we actually saw a 53% decrease in the CPA on that copy and on those native ads just by minor changing uh, to that. And I think that's incredibly powerful effect to have uh, with such a small change in one channel. Uh, Interestingly, Richard was talking about bigger kind of uses or lateral thinking of social norms. And historically, when we worked with MaxiMuscle, we actually did a lot of work around that. We initially did... Uh, kind of 16 sheets of celebrities talking about using it, people talking about using it, creating a bit of a social norm that it was used. But along with Maxi Muscle, we released their Maxi Muscle shakers. And so the people started to walk around with these bottles showing that they were drinking. Nice. Very much in the same way that you've got the iPod headphones distributing, uh, showing people using it. It was a really good way to combine the advertising with the product to show that growing use. And Maximuscle, using this approach, went from strength to strength year after year with us, which I think was a really good application of it across the business. What we found is you need to still try and understand your audience because there are people and contexts where it will work better than others. And so you should put the effort into understanding uh, where it will work best and also how to use it best. For example, potentially using digital to target social norms on a localised level, communicating what people are doing in their towns or potentially their postcodes so that you can make them even more impactful than just using them in a bland way across the country. So, so Will, can you, can you give me another example? Because you mentioned localization. So localization is really interesting. I think uh, it was touched upon about how when the message is relevant to someone or feels closer to them, they'll be more affected by it. Um, this was seen uh, in the getting taxes from people and when the message was uh, at a town level or postcode, they were more influenced by it. There was a really interesting use of this with Kinetic and Subway, where they found that when they were communicating different subways that were being eaten, uh, it actually had a most impactful effect when they communicated it on a town level. The only place that wasn't true was when they communicated it in Yorkshire. Uh, <laughs> And seemingly those people responded best to the idea and identity of being from Yorkshire than from the towns and cities within it uh, in a way that no other county did, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Do do you have a reason why? Uh, I think there is just a real sense of Yorkshire identity that people like me from Dorset don't have, that that is who they feel they are and it is distinct and special and uh, kind of unique to them. So from an advertiser's point of view and a consumer decision point of view, we're pretty likely to adjust our behaviour based on what others are doing. And as a brand, it's therefore important 
to let people know how much your brand is being bought, but also important to be careful when highlighting the problem behaviour that you want to change and make sure that you're not just helping reinforce it. Richard, well, thank you. Very interesting. As promised, if you want to win a signed copy of Richard Shotton's book, The Choice Factory, please rate us on whatever platform you're listening to and we'll pick a winner every week and we'll speak to you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Total Media, the behavioural planning agency, an innovative approach to behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth.